Hey, hey, listeners, welcome to another episode of This Book Changed My Life. I'm Natalie Ford. Thank you so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure. All right, guys, today on the podcast, we have Julie Decker. Now, before we get to the episode, I want to toss out these two pieces of BHS trivia that I came across and or thought about in the midst of this interview. And if you know the answers to these two questions, Lenny Waldman, I'm sure you know, if you know the answers to these two questions, I want you to send me an email, find me on social media, send me a text message, because it will, it, it'll, it'll just crack me up. Okay, so the first one is this. I learned this on this interview, but you may know this already. Julie Decker's sister works in the district and used to work at Berkeley High School. Who is Julie Decker's sister? Do you know the answer to that? I did not know the answer to that. I, I, it blew my mind when I learned it in this interview. Okay, that's number one. Number two, in this interview, Julie talks about the True Colors personality test. And if you don't know what this is, you should Google it because it's kind of cool. Maybe if you if you have been at BHS for a while, you you will recall we had a staff meeting with the True Colors personality test: blue, green, gold, or orange. Okay, we were everyone on staff was one of those colors. If you were there at that staff meeting, I want to know this: Do you remember what was the what is the name of the administrator who ran the True Colors personality test activity at the BHS staff meeting a long time ago? Do you know the answer to that? If so, find me, let me know. So thanks for joining us. We have Julie Decker on the podcast. She's awesome. For the first time last year, Julie was in my classroom, so I got to know her a lot last year. And the other thing about Julie that stands out to me is that every day when I would get to work last year, I would get out of my car and I'd walk into school through the band doors. And every morning she would be standing just inside the band doors waiting for her students. And she was the first person I said hello to pretty much every day. And one thing that I've realized, I'm sure a lot of you guys have too, is those, there are so many people who work in our school who we say hello to, who we have small conversations with, who we check in with every so often. Maybe not the people who we lesson plan with or our rooms are next door to, but all these people in the building who, although those conversations and interactions are small, For me, I'll speak for myself, all those interactions bring so much joy to my day. And I have this, I have this thought, these two thoughts at the same time. The first thought is, wow, it's going to be really hard getting through the year without all of those interactions, without those hellos every morning, without those small chats in the hallway. It's going to be really hard getting through the year without all that. And at the exact same time, I feel so grateful that I work in a building where that happens to me every single day, that I get to have these little exchanges of joy with people every single day. And I wanna be, I'm sad about that, and I'm also equally grateful for it at the same time. So in that spirit of kindness and love, let's get started with our Julie Decker interview. Here we go. So Julie Decker, thanks for joining me. Good to see you. <laughs> I know it's um. There's so many people that you know. I see my department. Obviously, I saw them a, a you know a couple days ago. But then I I really started to think about this fall, and there's going to be like a million 
10 people that I saw every day for 15 years mm -hmm. that I'm not going to see for like a year, you know? Right. Yes. It's very, very strange and very disjointed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't know how that will be for me. Cause I feel like I, I got a lot of mental health from like talking to, you know, like connecting with all everybody, not just like the people that I like plan with or whatever. So yeah, no, you're, you're going um, to miss your hall. I'm a hall talker. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Oh yeah, that's right. For sure. I'm going to miss those guys. Um, okay. So, but it's not about me. Let's talk about you. Okay. So can you tell us how you got to where you are? Like, tell us your career path as to how you got to where you are today. Uh, I went to school to become a teacher. I come from a family of educators and teachers and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I went to U of M because I figured that was a good place to go for pretty much anything. I thought about law and I don't know. I wasn't sure, but I fell into education pretty quick. So I graduated from U of M. I grew up in Berkeley. So I returned home from U of M and my first teaching job was actually at Anderson. Uh, it was just for a semester. And then when that ended, um, second semester, I happened to get another long-term job, sub job at Royal Oak. And that's where I stayed for the next 10 years. I taught um, mostly eighth grade history, but I taught some high school social studies and some other middle school social studies during my time there. And then I quit when I had my girls. My oldest is now a senior. She'll be a senior at Ferndale High School. And so I stayed home with them until my youngest, who will be a sophomore now, uh, started going off to school. And so then I, I substituted for a while. And I also worked in a brain injury work rehab program for a while. And then my sister, who also went into education, is actually a social worker for Berkeley Schools. And oh, she, wow. yeah, Marnie Kane, she, well, she used to work at the high school. Full stop. <laughs> what did you just say? You're Marnie Kane's sister? Yes, I know. We look so much alike, don't we? <laughs> yes. I, love, I love Marnie Kane. Everyone on the planet loves Marnie Kane. I know. <laughs> You are kidding me. You know, you guys could have told me like, oh, yeah, you probably work with my sister every day. Well, you know, she's had, you know, she's been doing the social work thing at the elementaries now for a few years. So I mean, she was everywhere. Right. She was at the middle school. She was at the high school. Now she's at elementary school. So that is wild. Yeah. So anyway, she called me a couple times and said, hey, we need some parapros. Would that interest you? Because I still wasn't ready to go back to teaching full time with my kids in elementary school still at that point. And uh, so probably the second or third time she called me, I said, well, you know what? I think that might be a good, a good fit. And for me as a teacher, practically, since Berkeley still hires their own parapros, um, I still get retirement credit. So it was a way for me to make a little extra money. I still love teaching. I love, you know, I don't have any regrets about my career path. So it was a way mm -hmm. for me to get back in the classroom without all the stress, without <laughs> no papers to grade, no lesson plans to do, no emails to students and parents. You know, when I first started teaching, we didn't even have phones in our classroom. You know, if a parent wanted to contact you, I remember I had to go up to the workroom, the book storage room upstairs, which was like this, you know, you only went there if you had to use the phone to, you know, you got a little pink slip in your mailbox that you needed to call someone. So it's a totally different, totally different world than when I started. Well, almost 30 years ago now. So so anyway, so I said yes. And I had a uh, 
interview with Mike Ross. I was actually at Yellowstone National Park with our family and he was done mowing his lawn and we had a telephone interview <laughs> in the middle of the summer for a pair proposition at Anderson. So I got that job and then I was there for a couple of years and then I moved up to the high school. So I've been at the Berkeley High now. I guess this will be my third year at the high school. Okay, so your youngest is a sophomore. Is that what you said? Yes. Yep. Okay, so when your youngest leaves, which is like soon, yeah, do you see yourself going back? Well, I, you know, I would probably go back. Well, like who would want to go back now, right? Like <laughs> with the current circumstances. No, yeah. I mean, yeah. you got time. Like I made it out at this point. Yeah. Well, like you know, my my husband's a teacher too. He teaches at Royal Oak. We met at teaching in Royal Oak, and so he's retiring this oh. year. So this is his final year. So he kind of says, tag your it, you know, next year. Because <laughs> then we'll have kids in college for the next who knows how many years, right? So I would love to go back into teaching, but I, you know, it's right now it's a rough time. And I, I'm only a certified social studies. Um, and those jobs don't come up as often. You know, I don't have a English or math or science minor or something. So I would I would gladly do it if the right right position came came along, but I'm really thankful right now that I'm not. <laughs> I bet. Um, okay, so wait, you you said oh, wait, have you maintained your certification yeah. this whole yeah. time? That's really impressive. Yeah. No, I have because I am in that area where I need to. Right, every six years, my mom she yeah. was a teacher. She stopped when she had us. And then after she retired from Chrysler, went back and just printed off her permanent certificate and went back and taught special ed for 10 more years post retirement. So I don't have that luxury. So I figured it was better to keep it up just because if anything happened to my husband, right. I, yeah. you know, I want to be able to jump in and not worry about having to hurry up and quick renew it. So yeah. So my certificate is still, still good. I take classes every five years, whatever it is, five years, I guess, not six years. Six credits every five years. That's it. Yeah. But that is really impressive because that's like your own little mini job on the side is to maintain that thing. It's not, um, I don't know. Have you found that to be kind of annoying or have you like when you go back to take your classes or I don't even know what it involved. Are you like, Hey, I like this. I can do this again. Like, this is kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, I always enjoy doing the last couple of times I've done it. Um, well, I used to be able to accrue, and that was a nice thing about becoming a para pro. You know, I could go all those meetings at the beginning of the year and stuff would count as like PD hours. So I could yeah. usually accrue a credit or so in yeah. meeting hours. And then I would do kind of the one day knock them dead seminars where you just go yeah. all day and then write some papers. And I always like hanging out with the people and, you know, learning about the new techniques or games or whatever. So, um, so I think I, and I, that's a nice thing about being a para pro too, is I get to be in so many different classrooms that I really, it's great because I get to see all different techniques of different teachers and different ways they run their classrooms. So I think I've actually gained a lot as an educator, just seeing all the different ways that people, you know, uh, run their classrooms and their strategies and stuff. So I, like I said, I, I, I would do it again, but not this year. <laughs> Not until we're pandemic free, Julie. Well, and it's funny because my, uh, you know, Berkeley is using Schoology, 
Right. And I was on one of the summer committees for that. So I've, you know, been looking into that a little bit, but my Royal Oak and Ferndale are both using Canvas, which is mm -hmm. like Schoology, but it's competitor. So I'm like, oh man, I was hoping I could just learn Schoology really well and help everybody. Cause my poor husband, he's getting ready to retire. You know, this is, this is the, <laughs> who wants to learn a whole new, it was enough to learn Google Classroom, you know, crash course is spring. So yeah. I know I, I was talking to my sister about that and she was saying her, her sons, this is, she lives in Florida, but mm -hmm. her son's first grade teacher was like an incredible first grade teacher, but she's like 61 years old. And then, you yeah. know, they asked her to do everything online and like the drop of a hat. And this woman had no idea what was yeah. going on. Yeah. I mean, you can't, fault her for that. Like her strength is being in the room with kids. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I feel for people like your husband who, um, this is, I mean, first of all, he's got like a major milestone. This is like, this is, if this is his last year, that would be a sad way, you know, mm -hmm. well, I, I hope we get back at some point, but, um, at the same time, yeah, the technology piece is overwhelming for me. It's overwhelming for me. And I feel like I kind of know what I'm doing. Yeah, no, you, you use it all the time. Well, it is. And it's just, it's, uh, there's just so many layers and you Wait, can get froze. so you crazy into it. You know, like I trying to follow these pages and all these people are making these bitmoji classrooms and, you know, all these virtual things. I'm like, Oh, or I just, <laughs> I, it's going to be, I, it's going to be a wild yeah. ride. Yeah, you got that right. And I just think we all have to give ourselves some grace. Yeah. I, I agree with you that when you see what people do online, it can be over. You think I, I, I just want to get through it, you know? And, um, so anyway, I hope everybody, I mean, I, I think that we're all going to be supportive of each other, but it is hard when you see what other people do online and right. you're like, I'm not nowhere near that. No. Um, okay. T tell me what you were like as a kid. Now that I know that it's you and Marnie Kane running around. <laughs> as I'm the older, more responsible sister. <laughs> um, I don't see Marnie getting too crazy. Like I guess that's what comes to my mind about Marnie Kane. Okay. So tell me what, what you guys read, what your house was like in terms of reading. Did you, did people read to you? Did you have to go find it yourself? And then did you stay with reading as you got older? All right. So I'm the daughter of two teachers. My mom oh, was right. a special ed teacher and my dad was a fifth grade teacher. So we always had books in the house. We, I'm sure my parents read to me as a child. I don't necessarily have any specific memories, but I'm, I'm sure that was part of our routine. Uh, we always did the library book clubs. You know, you read books and you get stickers on the chart and go get a prize at the end of the summer. I always enjoyed doing that. I remember enjoying doing that a lot. Um, and so I read a lot for pleasure. I think it's pretty typical up through late elementary, early middle school. And then once you get into middle school, I think most of my reading shifted to, you know, stuff you had to do for school. Although I do remember when I was growing up, I remember loving to read like Black Beauty and Bridey of the Grand Canyon, like the horse books. Um, uh, I read, and then as I got a little older, more like middle school, high school, I shifted actually like Agatha Christie. I loved reading Agatha Christie as a like teen and young adult. And then once I got into college, I don't think I read for pleasure at all. It was just reading my books for my coursework. And then I was working during the summer and stuff. And um, it wasn't that I didn't like to it just, if I had leisure time, that wasn't the first thing. I didn't, you know, so I pull out a book at night um, 
to read. And then in my adulthood, I would say I still like to read for pleasure. Like when we went up north, I finished a couple books. You know, when I have a lot of downtime, I tend to go through books pretty quickly. During the school year and the work year, I might get through a book or two unless I need, unless I'm in a book club or something. Then, you know, yeah. then I then I enjoy reading it and I'll I'll get through it. But I've slowed down. And my, you know, I read, I don't read much fiction anymore. I read mostly um, nonfiction or kind of information or like historical based books, I guess, you know, true, true life story or inspired by true life stories, probably more than anything else. That's so interesting. Okay. So tell us what's the book that changed your life. All right. So this is a, it's such a mom. My girls would be mom. That's such a mom book to pick. But I was trying to think, and I couldn't really think of a novel that I read as a kid that stood out that changed my life. Um, so this is a, a nonfiction one, but I do have to say out of all the book clubs and stuff and that that I've been in that have focused on nonfiction books, this is probably the one that I took to heart the most. And I just kind of referred to just in my work with students and my with my relationships with my family and my friends. So it's called The Five Love Languages. And, oh, tell us all about this. All right. So it's uh, it's just the idea that we're sorted kind of naturally by personality into five. Everyone has five love. There's five basic love languages. And like just anything else that's like personality based, you know, you have like, I also really like the true colors system. Yeah. The personality, the gold, the green, the orange and the blue. Um, this is saying that people have five love languages and you're a mixture, right? Everyone has probably one that's strongest and then a different ranking. Everyone's mixture is different, but the five are words of affirmation. So you love to be told, I love you. You're doing a great job. That's really important to you. Quality time. So you like spending, doing stuff with people, receiving gifts, right? You like to get stuff, right? Dad comes home for a trip and brings you something. Your husband brings you flowers or whatever. Acts of service, you like people to do stuff for you. And then physical touch, your kissy, huggy, like to snuggle. So it's been really helpful to me in, it was, you know, in relationship to my husband and even just in relationship, especially to my kids. Um, and then yeah. you know, applying it to my students, like how, what kinds of things will they react to? Like, you know, I come to class every day with my bag and I've got all kinds of stuff in my bag. And for some kids, for me to give them a Jolly Rancher is like a really big deal. Like <laughs> to them, that means a lot. Where another kid will react much more if I say, hey, I really love that essay you wrote, or that's a really great picture you doodled on your paper. So it's really helped me. It's something that I've used. I probably read the book, oh, probably over 30 years ago now. It's been a long time. That has yeah. stuck with me and makes sense. And I still am able to apply kind of the lessons I learned from it. I think it, okay. So, I mean, I think it's interesting. Your daughters call it a mom book because <laughs> like me, I want, I want, don't you want to be like, girls, you want need a, you want a man who has read this book. Yes. Like, well, that's what, <laughs> it's an everybody book. Well, and, that, and they have a version, you know, five love languages for teens, five love languages for couples, five love languages for family. It's the same five languages, but right. you know, from a different perspective. Right. Yeah. They've tried to, make it so that it applies to everybody because it is kind of universal. You know what I mean? That it's totally universal. As, as different as we are, there are some things that just make us human. Right. And I think those are things that make us human. 
can you think of an example of when you had a relationship and you were doing one thing and it wasn't working or you kind of banging your head against the wall and then you read the book and you were like, huh, I'm going to try this instead. Mm-hmm. And you, something happened differently. Something different happened. Yeah. Well, I think, well, for me, my reading it, it was a revelation. For me, it's acts of service. I love That's it. You. Yes. When people okay. do things for me, it doesn't have to be like my husband. We just celebrated our 20th anniversary this week. Woo, woo, and, woo. Yep. And I've never asked him to do these things, but since at least our girls were born, he does the laundry every day. He does the dishes every day. Um, he cooks often, he doesn't cook all the time, but you know, there's just certain acts of service that he does every day without being asked. And you know, that lets me know that he loves me. But like for my for when my girls were born, physical touch is not a huge one for me. It's not at the top of my list. Mm-hmm. But my youngest daughter, that is her primary love language. And I remember even as an infant, her wanting to be held and me telling myself, I need to hold her longer because physical touch is obviously important to her. I mean, before she could even talk, but it just in the way she behaved, I mean, all babies like to be held, but just you knew that that was really important to her. And it still is to snuggle on the couch and stuff. And so it's a reminder to me, like, I, I might not want to do it, but it's really important to her for me to take that time to do it. That's so interesting that you were like able to see that so early on and that she like maintain, you know, just like, it's a part of her whole being. Like it's mm-hmm. not, it's not even anything that she like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? She didn't pick it. Right. No. Just like you didn't pick acts of service. No, it's just the way you're created. It's just the, you know, how your DNA and. Yeah. Did you read this with a book club or did you do, how did you come to this book? Do you yeah, remember? No, I read this with a, a book club. I think it was actually at my church with a couple other I think it happened to be all women in there, but a couple other moms, I think, that we read through it, you know, in the course of five or six weeks. And uh, we were all, it's kind of the same stage. I think we all had younger kids at that point or just starting our families. And um, I think it's just really powerful because I think sometimes people think that because you get, what happens is you get frustrated. Like since acts of service is my primary love language, that's how I express love to other people. So if I make dinner for the family or if I go run an errand for someone, I'm doing that as an act of love. But if it's not their primary love language, they don't necessarily see that as an act of love. And then you get frustrated and they say, well, you don't care for me, but I, but I cook for you. But if their primary love language is, you know, spending time together, they're going to say, well, you didn't spend any time with me though. You were in the kitchen cooking. So it's been really powerful for me to realize that, you tend to express love in your primary love language, but if it's not the other person's primary love language, they might appreciate it, but they're not going to see that as a a way of you expressing your love and care for them. Yeah. And I like one thing that came to me as you were talking was you like, whether it's your marriage or your kids, like you don't want to keep missing the other person's signals. And then I think sometimes like, you think you can perceive a person as ignoring you, but they're yeah. just sort of w- hanging out until their love language opportunity comes up. And I think especially with phones being so present in our, in every single relationship on the planet, mm-hmm. um, 
I like how the love languages like gives people a way to address, you know, what they need. Um, when you read this a long time ago, I don't know, you said it came out a long time ago, but I feel like mm -hmm. I only really learned about these, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, but I now I, I'm not remembering. It was first when was it public? published in the 70s, the early 70s. Really? Yeah. Oh, no, wait a minute. That's from the quote. No, I'm sorry, 92. The book was written in 92. Oh, okay. One of the references. I, I don't think I came across this concept, obviously, until after college when I was like, you know, thinking about things, mature yes. topics. <laughs> I find it interesting that, okay, so everyone I've interviewed from your department, who have I interviewed? You know, uh, Brockman, um, Levinson, Kara, I've interviewed Dawn, mm -hmm. and all of them have talked about communication is like this huge part of your world. And I mean, it should be a huge part of all of our world, but you guys have to do it in like this really deliberate way. Yeah. If that well, makes sense. The, yeah. Well, I think the student body that we tend to work with, you, you, you really have to hone in on the primary way of communication for that student because that's going to be your best way to, to help them, that they're, they may not have the skills or the ability to communicate in a different way. Or another way might be really like offensive, like really upsetting too, you know, for some like, you know, physical touch is not my primary love language, but if someone gives me a hug or a high five or slaps me on the back, whatever, it's not going to trigger me. It's not going to make me upset, but for some, some people, that's really going to be a problem, you know, that that's not a way that is a good way to communicate with them. So um, I think probably for those that work in special ed, we have to be extra sensitive to just, you know, how can you communicate with this person in the best, the best way possible? You know, some, some students, I have to choose my words really carefully and some students I don't, but if I don't choose my words really carefully with some students, it can be really, you know, upsetting. So, yeah, I don't know. I think, for, well, this is my 15th year, but over the years I've worked more and more with Brockman and Levinson and you were in my room for the first time this year and, um, and some other people. And I am so fascinated by everything that you guys do as teachers. Like we can use with everyone. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, for sure. But we don't necessarily have to like you guys get this really immediate feedback. And I think, um, it's, I've, I mean, you know, I think we're, there's a lot happening <laughs> in both of our spaces at one time. Yeah. So it can be so hard to like calm down and navigate how to communicate most effectively. But I, I really have learned that you guys do, do have a lot of, um, like communication. You guys have like the right, you think about this all the time. And I think as teachers, my, I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I'm like, I put it on the board. Like, what right. is the issue? I put yeah. it on the board, you know? Well, yeah. And yeah. And that kind of goes back to this. That thing. might not be somebody's language. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Well, love language or like personality. Like, you know, that's why I was talking about the true colors. Like I'm a gold and a lot of teachers are gold because they like rules and order and it's comfortable to be in a <clears throat> situation where there's bells and you've got structured time and everything's kind of very predictable. And it was really powerful for me when I went through that training to realize at the time when I was working, I had a prince and most of our staff were gold. We had a few oranges. I was in the middle school. So <clears throat> you always have a few people that like to do cartwheels down the hall and they were the fun ones that would plan the crazy trips and stuff. But 
Um, and you had the blues that love emotion. You know, you have your counselors and your touchy feely ones that had the kids in at lunch because they wanted to make sure everyone was okay. But our principal at the time was green, which is like the big picture thing. And when we realized that, I was actually doing an in-service for our staff. And when we realized that, we were all like, oh, <laughs> because she was just, she, she was just thinking in a totally different way than probably everyone on the staff. I'm not sure we had anyone else on the staff that their first color was like green, like big picture. And it just made sense. Analytical. You know, analytical. Yes. You know what I mean? And the rest of us were like, that kid was late 10 times. How come they're not getting a detention? They're not following the rules. But she was, you know, big picture analytical, well, why and stuff. And so it's that same thing with the love languages that you realize sometimes like, man, you know, I've given this kid, uh, you know, the best comments on their paper and they could care less. Right. But maybe that kid wants the chocolate bar for, you know, they want the gift or maybe they want, you know, they want the pat on the back instead of, you know, that might be way more meaningful to them than a nice comment on a paper. So. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot when you think about, when I think about a uh, hundred and thirty some people a day, like it's a lot, lot to puzzle through. But then at the same time, like you said, once you kind of like turn on that, once you kind of turn it on in your brain and you kind of look for it and notice it, mm -hmm. it can be really a, like, it could just be helpful. It can just make your day easier. Yeah. If you know how to get to people, like how to really reach them and kind of you know, make them pay attention to you, I guess is what I'm, is, you know, like you just want them to listen to what you're saying and like want to come back for more. Right. So, yeah. And I think the power is, is really in knowing what you are, because then that lets you know your bias, right? Like oh, for sure. I know I'm acts of service. So if I'm having trouble connecting with someone, maybe that's because I'm expecting the same from them, you know? Right. So it's kind of like knowing what you are and realizing maybe if you're having a tough time connecting with someone, it's because there is something different than you are. Right. You know, for sure. That's something I've, I have really had to like check is I think I was a blue. I did that color test a while mm -hmm. ago, but. I'm all about harmony or I mm -hmm. used to be, I think now I'm a little more <laughs> in the real world, but I have a hard time when I get into like a confrontation. Mm -hmm. And um, so a lot of times I'll take the easy road mm -hmm. or I'll want to like, just make something, you know, does that yeah, make sense? Sure. And a lot of times in teaching, like you really need to not necessarily have an argument, but you got to be able to enter into some tricky spaces with students or even parents, you know, like, and so that's been good to know myself. We haven't done a true colors in a long time. I don't think you were here when we did it because we had a completely different administrative staff, but we did it one year at Berkeley uh -huh. and it was hilarious. Like all the oranges <laughs> were sitting together and it was the same thing. It was like all the crazy people who like <laughs> they're brainstorming when they can go to the bar. Like, you know, they're all going to exactly. <laughs> Well, that's what in my lowest color is orange. So I knowing that I just I like I have to force myself to like do spontaneous things sometimes, you know, and just realize that that's just it's out of my comfort zone. It's not right. a bad thing. It's just no. not it's not where my comfort zone is or just to let people that where that is their strength, let them let them go for it. You know, like I said, in the staff yeah. I was on. We had a couple, I had a couple of fellow eighth grade teachers that were oranges and I just would let them run with the things to plan the big class parties and, you know, whatever it might be, because they, they were just, they were willing to try anything. 
Yeah. They didn't need to have a schedule. They didn't need to have, you know, a plan. They would just brainstorm stuff. And then, you know, I knew my strength was organization and stuff. I could come behind and maybe help execute it. But, you know, they would get the kids all excited. And that was, that's not my, I'm not going to dress up in a tutu and go, you know, in front of the school at the pep rally. And, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I will say the thing that I love about the love languages and the colors is that you it's like no shame you know what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. it you know there's not like when i i think i took the love language test and i was like oh i really don't i hope i'm not but it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. what you are right and and like you said everyone has a role to play in whatever or you know whatever department they're in and um and Mm -hmm. that's what makes it beautiful to work with other people is to be able to use other people's strengths um and I just think that, like you said, like you need, you need someone to be organized. Like if you're all orange, like that's not, no. that's <laughs> not good at some point. And if you're all gold, you know, that's probably it not going to be, be a lot of fun no, over time. It's going to be organized, but really boring. <laughs> no, you need, yeah, you Let's need see. all those things. So, and I think on a staff, you know, and in a school building, it's great. It's great to have those people that words of affirmation are their strength where they know they say the right thing at the right time to the right person, quality time, those teachers that are willing to sit down with kids at lunch and, you know, or do clubs or all, you know, different kinds of things to right. connect with the kids. Gifts, like I said, you know, in a school, it's a little different, but those are the kids that they really will. They'll do anything for an Oreo or, a, you know. <laughs> So, you know, a furry hat from the yeah. store or whatever, and, you know, acts of service, yeah, like, you know, yeah. and then, you know, physical touch, you know, in a school, it's different, but still you need the, want the students and the teachers are willing to give, you know, a high five or a quick hug or whatever, you know, you need, you need, every human Absolutely. needs all those things. It's just, we're more inclined right. to accept, you know, one is going to be more meaningful maybe to us. Yeah, for sure. Well, Julie Decker, this has been such a great conversation and um, I don't know, it's always just so enlightening when I'm, when I'm with um, people from your department, you guys like have all this stuff to offer us, but I, I feel like we need to do another true colors round. Yeah. Like I need, it, I, I it really is good stuff. It is good stuff. I do enjoy it. It, it is good stuff. Um, but thank you so much for joining me. And I can't, the Marnie Kane thing, <laughs> I'm, I think I have to send her an email right now and right. say, oh, I just talked to your sister. Yeah. <laughs> I just realized it was your sister. (laughs) All right. It was good to see you, Natalie. Take care. Thank you so much, Julie. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye.